Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. Children's Church, you were dismissed. If you will, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, where we're going to be continuing our study today. Just a recap, if you've missed a Sunday or you haven't been with us, we've been working through Nehemiah verse by verse. Uh, we come to find in Nehemiah chapter 1 that God's people had fallen astray. Um, not just their city, their walls had fallen apart, but they themselves had fallen, and we know that the struggle there was sin. We see that revealed through this man, Nehemiah, as he is away in Persia. He hears about his people's plight, and he begins crying out to God for them, for forgiveness. And we see in Nehemiah chapter 2, God gives this man who had been faithfully, humbly praying to him for these people, for his people, um, we see him given an opportunity by the king to go back and begin to rebuild the walls, to rebuild everything that God had made for them. And so we see the rebuilding of the walls beginning then in chapter 3, um, verse by verse. We see him naming the people that worked on the gates, all the different gates on the north, the east, the south, and the west of the city. As they prepared, they rebuilded. We see families working together. We see men who had fallen come back into uh, fellowship and in working for God and for his will and, and just over and over again almost 50 names and 50 families were honored there for their work and so now in chapter four we come to a place of opposition the work has been going it's been going well and that is an issue to some people so join with me in chapter four verse one as we read so when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall. Now, we ran into Sambalot first back in Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, he had been a doubter, a provoker. Him and Tobiah had been calling out that, you know, what are these guys doing? Are you not rebelling against the king in doing this? And um, we see in, let's see, 
in verse 20, uh, verse 19 in chapter 2, when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked, they despised us, and said, what is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And Nehemiah, he answered them, he gave them this reply, the God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, no right, no historic claim in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah says, you have no authority, you have no place here, you are not of God's people, why should we worry about what you have to say? But again, Sambalat did not take that to heart, and again he begins to mock them. So verse 1, when Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria, and he said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they they ever even finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah, the Ammonite who we read about before, who was beside him, he said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up on, on what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. And so we see Nehemiah respond there in verse 4. He says, listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined up together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. But then when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. And then verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of the laborer fails. Since there is so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. So we're going to stop there and go back to verse 1. Really, we're only going to be working through the first 10 or so verses of this chapter today. It's a long one, and we'll be continuing in it again later on. So when Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious, and he began to mock the Jews before his colleagues and powerful men of Samaria, and he said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? these pathetic Jews. You know, it's so funny, in the language that Satan uses, our great enemy, our adversary, so often when we see him interacting with God's people, he's always asking them a question. Like when in the garden with Adam and Eve, he says, how come you can't eat from that tree? Or when he's talking to Christ out in the wilderness, he's saying, shouldn't you rule over all these nations? Wouldn't the angels catch you if you jumped off this cliff? He's always questioning. He's always stirring up doubt. He's always, that is his language, the accuser, the adversary, the enemy of our souls. And so we see kind of that same language coming in here as he's asking these questions. What are these pathetic Jews doing? So when he's asking that, he's not only asking this question about what are they doing, but he's also ridiculing. He's pointing out their weaknesses. 
And this is something that the enemy loves to do then and the enemy loves to do now. He loves to point out, he loves to ridicule us for our weaknesses. Satan loves to point out our sins and our failures and our shortcomings and that's why he is our adversary. That's why we call him that. That's why the devil means the accuser. And when we follow God, we are always, he's always going to be trying to stop us. He's always trying to belittle us and make us feel like we are not good enough, that we are not strong enough. And that's the reality that many of us face in our daily lives, in our daily walks, as we try to live up to what Christ has for us, to literally be reflections of him on this earth. We're going to fail, we're going to fall short, and Satan is not going to let us forget that. He is going to accuse us. He is going to call out against us. He's going to remind us over and over again about our weaknesses, about our failures. But the reality is, even as he's throwing those accusations up against us, even though we know they're true, because of Christ, they no longer have power over us. Our weakness is made perfect by God's strength. You do not have to be good enough. You do not have to have never failed, have never fallen short. He's going to remind you of that weakness over and over again. But the reality is you do not have to be strong to follow God. You just have to trust in God. You have to lean on him, not on your own understanding, not on your own strength, not on your own abilities. We could not save ourselves. And so we lean on God in our weakness. And in that, we are made perfect. We are made strength because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So when the enemy calls out and he ridicules us for our weakness, though it's true, it is not something that should burden us or should discourage us or should slow us down from continuing to follow God's will for our life. In this case, for the Jews to continue building this wall and rebuilding themselves as God's people. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.27, it supports this. It says, instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And though it seems so much like, even though we are weak, that there's so much against us, it doesn't mean that we can't overcome because of what Christ has done for us. The next thing he says, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Uh, And then he says, can they restore it by themselves? Can they do it on their own? And that's what's so funny is that the enemy is always trying to make us feel like we are on our own. Like we have to be able to do it by ourselves. That's that popular thing in culture, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Listen, I'm all about being strong and being able to pick yourself up and things like that. But the reality is you can't physically pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You have to have some support, some help. And God never intended for us to do anything in this life alone. He has given us the spirit to be our great helper. He sent his son to die, to be our savior, to pay for the sins that we could not pay for ourselves. He gives us families. He gives us the church. He gives us a spouse to be our helper, our support, our partner in everything in this life. And so nothing that you are struggling with, nothing that God is going to call you to do is ever going to be something that he's going to call you to do on your own. There's always help nearby. If not from God, then from our brothers and sisters. But the reality is God is always there. Will they be able to do it on their own? It's a weak one, but okay. He goes on, 
Will they be able to restore by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? And so here he begins to ridicule their worship. And just as the enemy does today, he ridicules our worship. Have you ever been sitting in a church service? Have you ever been praying alone at home and you feel an attack come on? Like, what am I doing? Does this matter? Does he hear me? Is this real? The answer to all those questions is absolutely yes. But sometimes when we get isolated, when the enemy draws us away, when he reminds us that we are weak, when he tries to make it feel like we are on our own, and then he comes and he begins to ridicule our worship, our prayer, our, our worship. He begins to make us doubt God's word. He slips in these lies and this slander and this doubt, and we begin to fall away. We begin to question our own faith. So he says, you know, will God's people even worship him once this wall is up? Or will they go back to being content now that the physical things around them are set, will they continue to worship him as God's people? Are they only relying on him now because they're vulnerable without this wall, because they're weak? So when we're on our own, when we're isolated, when we're feeling weak, are you going to worship him even then? Even when you feel empty, even when you feel drained, when you're tired, when you don't feel like God cares or that he's there? Will you continue to trust that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us? And the next insult was, will they finish? Will they be able to complete it? Will they finish, uh, some, um, some of the translations say, will they be able to finish in a day? So their commitment to God is attacked. That's something that so often a lot of us struggle with is not just be able to begin the work that God has called for us to do, but to be able to finish it. Because God, in his timing, he's above it. He is above timing. And so though our efforts may take days, they may take minutes, they may take years, they may take decades. We don't always know. We don't always see the fruit of the labor that we are putting in. But God calls some of us to harvest. He calls some of us to till. So he begins to, again, attack their commitment to God, their longevity for him. And he begins to attack the timing in which they're going to be able to accomplish this work. So insult after insult, mocking after mocking, attack after attack. And then uh, we see this last one here from Simbalat. He says, can they bring these burnt stones back to life? From the, from the mounds of rubble. It's so funny that the language that he uses there, this life from the rubble. And as we've discussed, what is really being rebuilt here is not the walls itself. They are being rebuilt brick by brick, stone by stone. But what's really being rebuilt here is God's people and their commitment to him, their obedience to him, their daily practice of following him and trusting him in something greater than themselves. And so they are... They are, again, what is being rebuilt. And we know that, you know, God can make anything from anything. He created this world from nothing. He made man from dust. He uses the spirit to fill up dry bones. And he brings us as his people from death to life through Christ. And so, too, yes, he is going to rebuild what has been destroyed. This is something that we see God do over and over again. He's not just the creator, but he's also our redeemer. And so both the strength of this wall and the strength of this people is being rebuilt and he's gonna bring that from death to life.
So again, then Tobiah, you know, he pipes in with his say. He doesn't want to, you know, send Balak to be the only one getting in all these jibes. And so Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, ha ha, I don't like Tobiah. (laughs) Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Good one, Tobiah. Man, we're feeling that one. What he's saying there is that even if something as light as a fox, as small, if it climbed up on their stone wall, it would crumble, it would fail. So what we come to learn here, first and foremost, is that people in the Bible were not very good at insults. They just weren't. Uh, I've got, um, you know, from my past running, uh, running restaurants, you know, I've got some physical scars from the things some waitresses could say to me. I'm just saying, uh, if you re- unleashed a couple Waffle House waitresses on, uh, on a bad day, which is typically a Sunday because we're not all that nice when we go there after church, um, that's just the reality of it. Uh, if you unleashed some of their verbal attacks that I've sustained, it would probably crumble this wall and they would have fallen apart. God's people would not have been able to take it. But luckily it was just Tobiah and Sambalit and uh, they were not very good at this. But anyways, he still comes to question. Indeed, even if the fox climbed up on what they were building, he would break down their stone wall. And so the wall will not hold something even as little as a fox. There's no structural integrity to it then. And again, it's the people being rebuilt brick by brick. And so what we really see here is we get to witness how they will hold up in their resolve. Once this is complete, how are they going to stand up against the opposition that's coming up against them? And we really get to see that here in his word. We get to see how they're going to handle it when something much greater than a fox is going to come up against them as they are being rebuilt by God. So Nehemiah responds to this in a way that he always does, in the way that we pointed out in that first week. uh, And he does the same thing. He prays whenever he is comes up against, you know, the king offering him. He prays when he hears about the struggles of his people. He prays, and when he hears this opposition come up against them, he goes to prayer, and he says this. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads. Let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. And actually in a lot of your translation it says, for they have provoked you in front of the builders. And so what it's referring to there is that they're not just insulting us, God. They are insulting you. Let them sustain your wrath for what they are doing, God, because they are coming up, yes, up against your people. But God, it is you who we are following. You are our representative. You are our God. And so when they are insulting us, they are truly insulting you as we seek to do your will. And so Nehemiah cries out for him to do that. And that's not necessarily how we should respond in prayer today. And why is that? It is not, now that Christ has come, we talked a couple weeks ago about how we don't have enemies like this necessarily anymore. We as God's people are to be a light, we're to be a sacrifice, even to the point of crucifixion, to be able to share the love that Christ has provided for us. And so though, man, this is something that I at times had wished I could pray on those that were up against me, the reality is Christ has changed even the way that we pray when we are attacked. We're supposed to love our enemies now. And so here, instead of, if this was us in a situation today, if people were coming up against the church, which, you know, that never happens at all. 
God's people are never attacked or ridiculed or mocked or uh, persecuted anymore. Not at all. We live in a a wonderful, wonderful God-fearing country. But if we were attacked like this today, Jesus would change the way that we pray and we would pray for them to come to know him, for them to be changed by him. God, I wish ill upon them, but more than that, I pray that the the, really the only way that they could ever fully understand their shame, their, their unrighteousness is to come to see you in your light. And God, I pray that they would be convicted for what they have done. And then I pray that they would be redeemed through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, so that my enemy can become my brother, so that those persecuting me can become persecuted with me, so that we can continue to build the kingdom of God here on this earth and eternity forevermore. That is how our attitudes have to shift from how things used to be before Christ to how they are now. When we used to hold vendettas, when we used to hold grudges, when we used to not forgive others as we have first been forgiven, we now have to shift. We now have to forgive. We now have to love. We now have to understand that even, when, even if it's another believer, even if it's someone who knows him, that we are not to reap vengeance upon their head, that God is their judge, he is their Lord, and he will bring them into correction, not us. So Nehemiah, he responds in the way that he always does in the way that we should when coming up against opposition and he prays. So verse six, so we rebuilt the wall. This is how they answered. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. So they're halfway done. For the people had the will to keep working. Even amongst this discouragement, even amongst their mockers, they continued to build. So instead of backing off, instead of shutting down just because people didn't approve, God's people moved forward anyway, doing what their doubters said they couldn't or wouldn't do. We have to know that before we even begin to follow God's plan, there will be opposition. There will be. It is not normal. It is not acceptable anymore in this world to do the things that God has called for us to do. It's not to forgive others, to not be in anger, to keep our marriage vows, to keep ourselves sexually pure, all these things, all these different ways that we are so different from the culture, we are so different from the norm, even in our little mountain town. We have to know that we're going to be different. We're going to be set apart. We have to defend that. We'll get to that later. So, You have to face the ridicule. You have to be prepared to face the opposition to be able to move on through it. Another factor here is the danger of a halfway point in any work that you're doing. When you reach the halfway mark, sometimes it's easier to become discouraged, even without opposition, because you know what it took to get to this point. You know how much labor, how much sweat, how much toil it took to get right here. And oh man, we still have all of that left to do again. The halfway point in anything, it's always dangerous. It's always a vulnerable time. And so this is when a person is tested. This is when we begin to see what you're relying on, whether it be your own strength or something else, uh, because it's a marker of progress um, and a vulnerable point. So by halfway in any large project, enthusiasm is usually out the door. Passion is usually out the door. Earlier in the summer when we were reading in Haggai, as they were rebuilding the temple, we saw them lose heart, lose discouragement. They became discouraged about halfway through the work. And he had to remind them, 
why they were working, who they were working for, what this was really all about. We saw Haggai step up and lead them in that way. And again, we're going to see that here in Nehemiah as he speaks to them in verse 14. He says this, After I made an inspection, I stood up and I said to the nobles of the officials and the rest of the people, listen, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of all those that are coming up against us. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. What I like about this so much is that he is motivating the men, those that are out there doing the work by pointing out how they are serving everyone around them. He doesn't say, do it for yourselves. He says, remember God, but not just God. You are doing this for God's glory. You are doing this to protect his people, your countrymen, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. But again, it's even though they're gonna benefit from it because it's protecting all their loved ones, and of course, they're gonna benefit from it themselves. God is calling them to, set, uh, to selflessly follow him for all the right reasons not doing it for themselves, but for all those around him. And that is how God selflessly calls us to follow him for the good of those around us, serving those around us, just as Christ first served us on the cross today. So more opposition arises. Um, Here we read in the next verse. So when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites, they heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. And they plotted all together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw it into confusion. So here, you know, as it's naming out these different names, it's not just the Sambalat, it's not just Tobiah, the Arabs, it's, it's growing. More opposition has come up against them. They have been working to see who will come up against God's people and what this actually does, where these people lived. Just as in the last chapter, we got to see kind of a layout of all the different walls being rebuilt north uh, to east to south to west. Now we see the enemies coming up around God's people in the north, in the south, in the east, in the west. They are surrounding them. They are now surrounded, God's people, as they are trying to rebuild these walls and they're only halfway done. They're only halfway. So they are meeting severe opposition and they know of a plot that is gonna come up against them to create confusion, to shed the blood of God's people. And so again, how do they respond in this time of need when this more opposition arises? They respond in the way that we should, just the same, they prayed. And so it says in verse nine, so we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. And so what I wanna point out here, you know, I, I keep touting on the fact that when something comes up, they pray. They pray, they call out to God in their need, in their worry, in their moment, they call out to God. And that is so vital for us. But they also responded practically. It takes both prayer and a practical response for if we're gonna be successful in doing what God has called us to do. Nehemiah, when he prayed and then he then spoke, he didn't just pray and expect the king to know what was desired. He prayed and then he made the ask. He made a huge ask to be able to rebuild all this. And the people here, they pray and then they do the practical thing and they station a guard because of them day and night. Uh, there's one guy that I've been having lunch with. I know him through a friend. He does not, he's not a believer in Christ. We're working on it. He has so many questions, so many doubts, so many things that he's heard from different people about different things. And he studied all these religions. He's so hungry 
to know God and he doesn't know that that's what he's hungering for. And so we have lunch sometimes and I try to answer all of his questions as best as I can and all of his doubts and all this stuff. But one thing that we were talking the other day and he said, you know, I saw this crazy lady on the news. And I said, yeah, what was she doing? And he was like, oh, she, you know, a bunch of people had gotten corona at her workplace, but she still refused to wear a mask or something because she said that Jesus had it, you know, that she was good. And I was like, oh, yeah, she should probably wear a mask. That doesn't mean that she's wrong. That doesn't mean that Christ doesn't have her. That doesn't mean that she's not protected by him eternally. That doesn't mean she still can't get sick. That doesn't mean she still can't affect others around her. And please don't make this out for me to be making some kind of political point about a mask or you in here wearing a mask or anything like that. What I'm saying is we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to rely on God. We're supposed to trust him in everything. But I also wear a seatbelt. I also have insurance in case I die, something for my family if I get sick, something for my family to protect, take care of them. There's still practical things that God would have us do on top of trusting and putting our faith in him. And so we see God's people respond in that way, in a responsible way there. I, I don't even want to regret even bringing up a mask because there's just so, it's just such a loaded thing right now. Next week, I'll bring up Halloween or something. Then we'll get even all more stirred up, you know? <laughs> but yeah. So we pray to our God and station a guard because of them day and night. And then in verse 10, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborer fails. Since there is so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. So in verse 10, they inevitably, they became discouraged they inevitably became discouraged because there was just so much to fix. There was so much work left to be done. There's so much rubble. There's so much trash in the way still. You know, we saw that in, in uh, Nehemiah chapter one as he was, or in chapter two as he was going around looking at the gates. There was even places he could not pass. He could not go because of all the damage, all the destruction. And so they're looking at all this and it's just been so hard, and they're getting so many, they're being surrounded, they're being threatened, they're having to post guards. Rebuilding is often so much harder than building for the first time. Why is that? It's because, you know, in, as in the case with this wall, when you're rebuilding something, when you're trying to rebuild a wall, well, you already know that it can be destroyed the evidence of it is all around you on the ground. And so a lot of times uh, when you already know you failed, when you've already know that something hasn't worked before, this why bother attitude begins to creep into your efforts. And that is from the enemy who's constantly prowling around, trying to make a stumble, trying to hold us back from doing what God has for us. And so this translates again to our walk with God, just as they were struggling to handle all this rubble, all this mess around them as they want to rebuild this wall as God had called them to do, as God is rebuilding them as his people. This translates to our walk with God today because it's so easy to be optimistic when we're following him, when we've never failed him, when we've uh, never fallen short, when we've never started something and not been able to complete it. But as the years go by, we inevitably stumble and we fall and we fail in this sinful world. 
and our mistakes, they begin to pile up. Our sins, they begin to create mounds in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits. And we begin to doubt and we begin to fear and we begin to, be, to believe all the lies that the enemy is bringing up against us. And a lot of times we just feel lost in all the mess that we've made. So we become discouraged. We lose hope in our mess for the same reasons the Jews did then because we forget that we are not alone. We forget that God is with us just as he was with them. And so more than that, Christ has come. So even though they had every right, every ability to be able to believe in God, depend on him, to rely on him for everything, because everything that they have, being God's people, being alive, being brought to this point of rebuilding, God has provided all of it. He has released them from captivity. He has brought them back here, not on their own dime, but on the dime of the Persians because he has worked on the heart of the kings there. He has now given them another opportunity just as they rebuilt the temple to now rebuild the rest of their city, rebuild these walls right outside their homes that they've been looking at day in and day out every night, seeing the destruction, seeing the rubble. Now we finally have a chance to make it right. We finally have a chance to put our lives back together, to reconnect to what God would have us be, to remake this, this city, this statute of who God is and his glory here on this earth back into a reflection of who God truly is, which is really just a reflection of who God truly is because they're his people. He's rebuilding them. The, the walls, the temple, that is just a symbol as we know. We are God's people here today. They are God's people then. And he would have us be the shining light of his glory, the reflection of his son Christ on this earth. And so we just forget that we are not alone. And so much more that they had then, we have now because Christ has come. He has sent us the spirit to dwell within us as our helper. Jesus is alive and he is sitting at the right hand of God and he is interceding on our behalfs day in and day out. He is our guard that is stationed day and night because even in our shortcomings, even in our failure that the enemy likes to point out, Christ is still alive and he is there and we've been paid for. And so even though we feel lost, even though we feel like, how are we ever gonna put this back together? God is making all things new. He is renewing our hearts and our minds through the blood of Christ. He is letting us learn how to live this new life, this eternal life in his grace, in his mercy. And though it's gonna be a struggle and though it's gonna be a trial and there's still gonna be a mess around us until the day that we ascend, the day that we die and go to meet him, one day it'll all be over. We will be complete. This project, this hot mess is gonna find its final solution. It's going to come to an end and we are going to be in his presence and it's all going to be okay. So all of our struggles, all of our worries, all of our sin, our toils right now here on this earth, it's all going to be okay. That is the great hope that we have in Christ. And so I mean, we're why he came. We are. Just as God sent the Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild his kingdom there on this earth, to rebuild his people, God also sent his son to rebuild us, to reconnect us to him. That is his passion. That was his purpose, to remove all that mess so that we could be rebuilt in his image for his purpose mortared together by the blood that he shed for us. 
and just standing in his grace. So if you've never heard that truth, if you don't know that all the sin in your life, all the shame in your life, it doesn't have to have power over you anymore. That God can take you, he can, just as he made you, he can recreate you. He can rebuild you, he can make you new, he can let you be used for good instead of just for evil. If you've never heard that truth, all it takes to make that a reality in your life is just just simply trust God. And more than that, just to accept his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. So if you've never heard that before, I pray that you'd make that a reality today. Just simply put your faith in Christ. But if you're some of us who've heard that for the 10,000th time, for the 100th time, I pray that you just remember, even when you feel lost, even when you feel broken, even when there's opposition coming up against you in your life, you have a God that you can rely on and he is gonna make all things new. Terry, if you'll come up. If you will stand, we're gonna spend some time in worship and in song. This altar is open to you. If you would like to come and pray, if you would like to be prayed for, we are here. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray that if we've been burdened with sin, if we've been burdened by the accusations of the enemy, that you would just give a lightness to our hearts today, that you would remember that your son has taken that debt from us, that you have taken our burden off of our shoulders. And so God, let us just relax and trust in you. Let us rest in the grace that we've been given so freely. But God, let us honor that grace and let us seek to fulfill the purpose that you have for us. God, let us not be discouraged from starting any ministry, starting any any work for you that would honor you but because of we know that we're going to be different. We know that we're going to be uh, opposed. And so, God, I just pray that you give us a boldness. God, that you would give us an, a, a courage to follow you no matter what, God, even unto the cross. Father God, I pray that you would give us a heart for those around us that we would just seek to serve them selflessly. God, whether it be our family, our spouse, our neighbors, our coworkers, God, whoever it may be, God, let us just... Let us not live a lives that is shallow and only caring about ourselves, but that is for those that you have created around us, God, because you have given us everything that we need.
God, the air in our lungs, our minds. God, thank you so much for the blessings that we get to bask in daily that we take so lightly. God, we lift up in prayer all those on our prayer list who are struggling, who are hurting, God. We know that you are the great healer that you can be with them. God, we know that you are the ones who created them and you love them. God, let us just help reflect that love towards them when they're down, when they're discouraged, when they're falling through. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that your name was honored here today as people lifted your voice on high. And God, I just pray that you'd be with us throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Is there any other witness or testimony this morning? Very good, y'all are dismissed.